0: Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 158. The last episode we had was with Dan Jones. Dan is one of the Nuffield Scholars this year, who is the man who took over at the Great Orme tenancy for a pound. And when I read that read that headline back in the day, I remember thinking, oh, that's insane. Um, but there's very much more to Dan than just a one pound tenancy. He cares very much about it, hence why he was the one out of four thousand to get it. Um, and yeah, a good story talking about his future travels and what his plans are. Nuffield wise, the episode we have after this is going to be with anyone that's seen the Netflix show Sex Education, someone who acts in it, which will be quite good fun. That's Actually went to school with him. Um, so yeah, that'll be quite a fun episode there. And uh, today, very much on the line, <clears throat> very much on the line of um, interviewing. My cohort of Nuffield scholars is another one of those Nuffield scholars that I was lucky enough to meet last week at the time of recording and probably two or three weeks ago at the time of release. And that person is Dr. Annie Williams. Annie, would you like to say hello? Hi, willen Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as Aplan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. How are you getting on?
1: Yeah, not bad. Thank you.
0: How are you? Yeah, good, good. And uh, I know you're quite um, quite used to these things. You've done a few podcasts before with work and whatnot, so I'm sure this will go quite swimmingly. Um, but for for the for the listeners, Annie, you can give us a wee bit of background about yourself. who, who is Annie Williams?
1: Yeah. So at the moment, I work for CL, who uh, that stands for the Centre for Innovation Excellence in Livestock. A little bit of a mouthful. But that's where we do a lot of uh, podcasts, webinars, that sort of thing, because we look at innovation in the livestock sector. So I'm one of the business development managers there working across pigs, poultry, cattle, sheep and aqua. Although I do have a little bit of a cow sheep bias. They're definitely my favourite. But we look at innovation strategies across the whole sector, working with businesses from small micro startups that have got really good innovation ideas. All the way through to big retailers, processors, um, you know, Arla, Muller, Tesco, Sainsbury's, that sort of thing on innovation strategies, which realistically in the last two years has obviously been really focused around net zero. Um, how, how are we going to get the livestock sector towards net zero? What's the innovation that's required? What's the farmer uptake of innovation and adoption on farm? How are we going to drive that? So we do lots in that area. Prior to that, I guess I've got a bit of a background between commercial and academic. So I have a master's in animal nutrition and a PhD in mineral bioavailability. And then I worked before I joined CL um, for a company called Agrimin, which is mineral boluses. And I worked for them in a variety of roles from technical, formulation, quality control, all the way through to export sales. So looking after the European and South African market for them before I joined CL in 2022.
0: Excellent. And was it was it agreement that got you interested in the nutrition side or had you done nutrition before you went there?
1: It's always a funny one, isn't it? People always say to me, why are you obsessed with minerals? (laughs) I don't really know. (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those things that goes I when I was at school, I went to a really academic school, the kind of school where they sort of go to Are you gonna be a doctor, a lawyer or a vet? And yeah. I was like, oh, I like animals, so I'm, I'm gonna be a vet. But actually went and did some vet work experience and was like, I don't think I wanna be a vet. And then I was like, I don't know what I want to do if I don't want to be a vet. So I took a year out and my mum lives in North Lincolnshire. I was obviously living with her from school. And Agrimin were based about 20 minutes down the road. And they offered me a job doing a little bit of anything. So a little bit in the lab, a little bit in production, a little bit of marketing and sales. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that and work out if it's something that I want to do. And I just really liked it. So then I went off and got academic qualifications and just kind of followed it as a route. It's one of those things that, yeah, didn't intend to go down that route, just kind of fell into it.
0: So, how did the school that wanted you to be a doctor of A or whatever take you going and working at a random nutrition dealership? I, th- I
1: think they were fine. As long as you got good grades like in your A levels, that was all right. Um so yeah, I th- think they were fine with it.
0: <laughs> so if if you did an animal nutrition masters, what was your undergrad?
1: My undergrad was in veterinary science.
0: So right, was a okay.
1: combination of veterinary and biology or at that time when i did it what it was what when i did it at liverpool you did half vet modules and half biology modules and it was literally a combined degree
0: you have sort of ventured around the country for university you've not been one you've not been to one for all three qualifications you've been to three haven't you
1: yeah i've been to so i did my undergrad in liverpool my master's in nottingham and my phd at harper adams
0: Liverpool, not right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what one, I've, I've had a few doctors, like people that have done PhDs recently on, and they've mentioned sort of the undergrad, the masters, the PhD, and I for some reason started asking everyone which one was your favourite, and I've had three different answers so far, if I'm going to ask you the same thing. What did you prefer, I mean, undergrad, I, postgrad? I don't know
1: what their answers were, that's interesting. They're all <laughs> different, aren't they? You go to, I always my undergrad in liverpool was great you know i was brought up in the country really rurally so to go to like off to the city to live in liverpool was amazing and i still have loads of friends that i did my undergrad with definitely wouldn't change that my masters i always say to people is where i learned the most in the shortest amount of time you know it was intense uh, i've never taken in so much information in a year uh, but I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't have the grounding and nutrition without that master's but it wasn't as fun as my time at all let's put it that way <laughs> um, and Harper, where I did my PhD it's a totally different type of university and again some of my best friends now are people that I met during my PhD and yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't change where I did that I went there because wanted to work with certain academics that are leading in kind of what I wanted to do in minerals and nutrition. But yeah, I don't I don't think I can pick a favourite. I don't want to keep allegiance with all three.
0: They're all good for different reasons. I, your master's comment's really true. I mean, I definitely don't have a PhD, but having done the master's, I felt like it was just intense how much you learned. It was just like knowledge, 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 knowledge. And then you maybe went straight into a PhD. I didn't. I really struggled with the, what do I study now? <laughs> What's next so
1: I took a year between my master's and my PhD. I I did a PhD because um I wanted to do one and I got commercial sponsorship to yeah. do it. Um but my PhD was easier than my masters in terms of like information like that you've got to retain.
0: Yeah, I could believe that. It's a slightly different setup. And tell us about your PhD.
1: So my PhD was in cattle and sheep and looked at the bioavailability of primarily copper, but looked a little bit at zinc. So copper um, that goes into mineral boluses. So my PhD is sponsored by Agrimin. So the focus was on improving bioavailability of minerals that can go into boluses. It's primarily copper oxide because to keep a bolus in the rumen of an animal, it's got to be dense enough to stay there. Mm -hmm. They make it dense enough to stay there a lot of the time by using certain materials within that bolus. One of those materials is copper oxide. But in terms of the effect of copper oxide on the cow or the sheep, it's got a really low bioavailability. So the bioavailability is around 4%. So when they're, they're bolus, they're excreting around 96% of that copper oxide we're supplying
0: oh.
1: my phd looked at whether we could improve the bioavailability of that copper oxide
0: and i guess the follow-up question has to be could you
1: yes you can you can so there'll be p- uh, papers are not released yet they're still under commercial embargo um but the paper should come out in 2024 to show that, yes, you can improve bioavailability.
0: I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, the new name for Aplan Rural. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. Brilliant. It's got to be a good thing makes that is it three years four years
1: it's supposed to be three years it took me about four years
0: was that covid pushback or just
1: no it definitely wasn't it wasn't i it was one of those things so uh, writing a phd takes time and i was working as well and you can't work every hour can you so yeah it took me a little bit longer than it should
0: have yeah no absolutely it's pretty common i mean it's yeah. And like you say, you're working through it as well. It's not like you're just focusing purely on your PhD like that' That's quite that's quite um what would you say? Quite a task time management wise. How much time did you get a week to work PhD? Is that how it worked in your contract? Or was it just you're working, let's see how you can fit this in?
1: Basically, <laughs> so, yeah. I worked full time on my PhD and then did extra work as well. Yeah, it's one of those, you look back on it and you're like, I actually don't know how I did that. And I definitely wouldn't recommend it. But at the same time, a lot of people come out with PhDs and they only have academic knowledge. I had an advantage there because I because I worked commercially throughout that time um, in quite a senior role. I had a lot of commercial knowledge. It's, so it depends on what you want to go and do. If you want to stay academia, if you want to go PhD, postdoc, lecturing then it's probably not a good idea to try and work at the same time because it's going to slow you down but if you don't and you do want to get a commercial role afterwards there are definite advantages to making sure that you've got that experience
0: was that always the goal like before you set to do your phd was it always the goal to to leave academia maybe not fully but you know go into the commercial sector more was that always the plan
1: yeah definitely i never I never saw myself working long term in academia. I saw it as like an opportunity to learn about research and how you would conduct research trials and be able to take that information forward to work in industry. I never, never saw myself. I love the I I love the teaching bit of academia. I really like giving uh, webinars, lectures, presentations, all that sort of thing. I'm lucky that I get to do quite a lot of that now. But yeah, the, the the marking side for setting exams that applying for research, bids and funding week after week, that's not for me.
0: Well, I, um, I marked just sort of small quizzes for lower level stuff that I think probably marked about 400 today. And it was like, I was then... Inputting that into my Excel grade sheet. And honestly, I my, my eyes were like square. Like I felt like I can only see in Excel cells. Like <laughs> all I can see. Um, you're right. That the, the teaching part is by far the easy part. It's the fun part getting in front of students, having a bit of a laugh. But God, the marking is long. <laughs> yeah, it's, con-
1: it's it's quite hard in academia, isn't it? In terms of getting permanent positions and chasing if you want to do research you're chasing funding all the time and I think that, that I can't imagine that I think that's really hard
0: yeah I, I, I mean that's not what I'm doing and I would struggle with that because you always feel like in my head that's not like a that's not a job a job comes with salary and you know yeah there's opportunity to earn more at times but yeah it's that would be intense that would be intense um I think given, you know, you've you've sort of got a, a keen interest in, in Minerals pretty much as you left school, um, and now it would be fair to say you're a bit of a Mineral nerd. Would that be fair? Is that...? <laughs>
1: That's definitely fair. Well, I'll take that, yeah.
0: At, at what stage did you realise, like, oh, my, this is going to be my career, like, Minerals seems to be who I am now?
1: <laughs> I think it was probably like during my master's or just post-master's because my master's was across all species um, all aspects of nutrition but I came out of my master's and went back working in minerals commercially and I was like I think you have this like almost moment where you go actually maybe I like this just because I'm good at it which sounds awful doesn't it because that shouldn't be the case but once you've built up it's such a complicated area once you've built your knowledge to a certain level it all becomes so much easier and then you realize actually I can I can make quite a big difference here because my knowledge I've built on years and years and I'm good at advising people around what mineral they should be using
0: so before we get into your sort of job currently how did how did agreement and CL differ how did your roles there differ
1: oh they're completely different So my job at Agromin, I had a variety of jobs like working my way through. My job when I left was export sales manager and technical support for the UK market. So as an export sales manager, that obviously involved having a big sales ledger, making sure that you're keeping customers happy, they're receiving product when they want to. Chasing new customers, new orders, as well as doing the technical support for UK sales team. Um, anything from you know farmer meetings to I've got this problem on farm or what product would you recommend or we've got this quality issue. So it was it was really really commercially focused, whereas my job at CL was a was a sidestep on purpose to do something broader i guess it was so what we do at cl is partly commercial partly government partly like thought leadership much bigger picture kind of stuff Mm. so yeah it was a it was a sidestep into into that world on purpose away from that more sort of commercial sales role
0: is the thought leadership stuff sort of into your podcasty side or no is that not involved yeah yeah
1: yeah, so thought, thought leadership, we tend to um, produce a report on something. So our latest set of reports are on protein and livestock feed and nitrogen cycling. And they're like sort of big, bulky reports that you can have to sit down and, and read, written by academics. And then we look at how we can disseminate that information. And that might include things like there are some, there are podcasts available on the CL podcast channel, which I can't remember what it's called. (laughs) Um, And we do webinars and we produce fact sheets and you'll see us at agricultural events, promoting some of the thought leadership that we do get feedback from industry on their thoughts on it. What should we do next? Um, Yeah, we work a lot in that area.
0: So purely from one of the chats in uh, I think is it CL insights podcast
1: ah uh, that's right
0: no, I was just checking it, just trying to find it out there as you are speaking. So if you're listening, you want to go listen to CL Insights podcast, go check it out. I'm not exactly precious over people listening to other podcasts. It's quite funny when people come on and have a podcast. I'm like, what's well, your podcast? And I'm like, are you okay with that? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not here to prevent other things from going well. And I, I don't think I'm really in competition with CL, uh, I think it'd be fair to say. Um. So yeah, if that's of interest, go check it out. You'd mentioned in the, the WhatsApp group chat that's becoming quite busy i feel like there's always notifications and everyone else that's very sort of active in it shout out the harrys and the sophies and the jocks of the world i apologize that i'm not um i'm just terrible with group chats but i noticed you'd said that you'd been to quite a few conferences now the number you said seemed to be exorbitantly high i didn't realize people did that many conferences is that a massive part of your job is that from a, a sort of knowledge transfer perspective
1: yeah, so we, go, so we go to a lot of events, conferences, I'm literally just back from Agristock, Um, to talk to members, find out what's happening across the livestock supply chains, we want to keep our finger on the pulse of are there challenges, are there opportunities, what sort of innovation are our members uh, announcing at these sort of shows, can we help to to build some bridges between different commercial companies by perhaps introducing them to each other saying this company are, are doing this and we really think you'd be interested as well as, you know, looking particularly because we're working across like a fairly tricky political landscape in terms of devolved administrations, making sure that we understand what the demands are that are being put on farmers that are being put on industry across northern ireland scotland england and wales so yeah i spend uh, a lot of my time at conferences so just back from Agrascot on my way next week to welsh winter
0: fair i do a few miles i get into all them <laughs>
1: absolutely it's great because you get to catch up with people because i went to uni in all these different places i know people from all over the country so yeah get to go and catch up with uh, lots of people but yeah, it does get a little bit tiring sometimes. December will be slightly quieter, less events on.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it. I mean, I agree, Scott. I've been to like the last however many and I wasn't at this year. Uh, I'd, yeah, maybe if I'd, I'd, we had like a group of students and three staff members go up, but I decided not to. I just wasn't really needed, but when would have came and saw EF. So, um So I think the, the CL thing interests, interests me because you've got, is it who's who's funding that is it a private company is it a government thing how does that work
1: well it's easier probably if i explained well how we were set up
0: that's okay, probably, probably the
1: yeah. simplest how we're set up how we're funded now and what we're doing going forward so cl was set up as part of the AgriTech strategy for the uk uh set up in around 2016 2017 along with three other AgriTech centres. Um, so CL is the Livestock Specialists. You've got CHAP, who are the Crop Specialists. You've got Agri-EPI, who are the Engineering Agri-Tech Specialists. And Agri-Metrics, who are the Data Specialists. All set up at the same time with the idea that they would drive innovation across those various areas in agriculture. And I joined uh, CL in about and. 22, which I guess is when they were going through a phase of starting to work even more with commercials with industry with what can we do for the sector because prior to that the focus had been on improving research facilities across the livestock sector when CL was set up they kind of went out to industry and said okay this is what an agri-tech center is designed to do how are we going to help drive innovation across the sector and one of the things that was identified was that the infrastructure in terms of research facilities in the UK wasn't good enough so from that period sort of 2017 to 2021 CL went through a huge phase of investing obviously unfortunately this slightly coincides with COVID which made it very challenging but investing in research facilities across 12 major universities, SRUC being included in that, um, to improve the research infrastructure available in the UK, so that the, we can do better research, basically. And this is all funded, so we're partially funded by Innovate UK, partially funded by income that comes from our members, so our industry members paying to be a member of CL, partially get um, money awarded from projects, whether that be grant-funded or commercial. So they're the kind of streams of income. And now I guess we've gone through that building phase of these research facilities, and we're really focused on what can we do to deliver value, to deliver innovation to those industry members that are part of our network as well as facilitating um, academic members, having connections with those industry members and making sure that the research that's being conducted is relevant really to not just the industry, but to farmers on the ground and what they require. And we're just going through the process at the moment with Agri-EPI and CHAP of a proposed merger taking place in 2024.
0: It, it just sounds like these are all like sister companies anyway so it seems to make. that's
1: exactly it that's how i always describe it yeah
0: (laughs) the and and not the the metrics one just the three
1: not agri metrics -metrics are pursuing uh, a commercial route whereas the other three are going to continue to pursue funding from innovation
0: and membership what, what's the, the benefits of membership is that direct benefit or is it is it a benefit sort of just a, a greater good benefit if you will
1: membership so how you're charged as a member basically depends on how big the company is so we have membership for micro uh, medium and large and again probably this might slightly change following a merger but this is how we operate at the moment and you get access to an account manager So one of the business development managers, I look after about 45 of our accounts. And then we have other business development managers that look after the other accounts. And we work with those businesses on a fairly bespoke basis. So each of them demand different things. Quite often for like smaller micro organisations, what they're asking us for is knowledge about the livestock sector. So quite often they've come from, I don't know, they've got a really good idea that's come from another industry that they think could be applicable to the livestock sector. And we help them to understand that landscape of where that product might fit, how the supply chain works. Clearly, like, if you're going to pursue something in poultry, that's a totally different supply chain. So if you're going to pursue something in dairy. So we help them understand that landscape, help them do some networking, uh, understanding who they might start to collaborate with, that sort of thing. With a lot of businesses, we're working with them directly on projects. And again, that could be grant funded. So that could be some of them. We're seeing big pots of money available for agricultural research at the moment, particularly around net zero. So we'd we'll be like working with a lot of those companies on active projects or applying for funding. We do a lot of project management, a lot of knowledge exchange within those uh, projects as well as helping people to put some bits together. Um, So helping them say, well, yes, we think that that's got legs and there there is an opportunity for that, or actually, you know, somebody's already doing that, or it's not such a good fit for this funding profile. And then I guess the other side is sort of our innovation team and some of that more horizon scanning, thought leadership, what's going to come next, helping members to understand the potential demands that are going to be placed on them by different parts of the supply chain or different uh, government demands
0: and if it came around when it did was that indirect response to Brexit or was that completely unrelated
1: it was before Brexit so the idea for the ag- agri-tech centres came under I mean I don't even know if we're going off prime ministers anymore but came into <laughs> the, the Cameron government
0: right, in okay.
1: 2012 so right. yeah before that
0: Ah, sorry, I thought he said 17. My bad. Um, Yeah, that. I <laughs> yeah, don't know what the case is of Prime Ministers anymore. We're not at three in the last year. I'm so do You know, I'm so bad. I'm so bad at politics and all this stuff. But Farage seems to be doing well in the jungle.
1: <laughs> like it, it's one of those, isn't it? They used to ask you, didn't they? Like, if you got, like, knocked out or something, who's the current Prime Minister? They've definitely surely had to get rid of that question because I'd be like, oh, I don't know, I can't remember.
0: I mean, actually someone around the time what was it it went johnson and then truss for like four weeks and then sunak who's still and i remember someone asked me i think it was michael blanche ex nuffield or not x not x ex, never ex, nuffield scholar Yep, save that sorry michael if you're listening you won't be listening you don't listen to me um but uh You'd ask me that, and I could I get Rishi Sunak's name? Not at all. I just know nothing about politics, to be honest. Um, so you, you mentioned, Annie, that, that, that a lot of, or most of, by the sounds of it, what you're doing at the minute is is researching into innovation around net zero. Um, is that, what sort of percentage of, of you guys' work is net zero based? Is it is it almost all of, or is it a chunk? <laughs> I,
1: think it's, I think you could say it's almost all because you can relate the thing is you can relate everything back to net zero can't you like we've just produced a report on (laughs) protein in livestock feed which is really useful in terms of helping people to understand what sort of proteins are going into livestock feed and why we're feeding various different types of animals with different protein sources but realistically it's always got that sort of net zero undertone in it of we're justifying why we're feeding sort of imported protein sources and what we might do to try and take some of those out. We're only considering taking some of those out because of those net zero goals. Mm. So I think it all has that. Most of what we do has a net zero undertone to it.
0: And shout out David Taverner. Was there any insects in
1: there? Insects are always on the agenda for alternative proteins. So absolutely, yeah, I need to go and see his farm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, so when I filmed with him, I, I didn't realise just how, I guess, how sophisticated the farm was already. It was only a year old and he's already sort of pushing it. It's, uh, it's quite interesting. The way we, we the way we organised to film was really quite intense in that we met each other for maybe about 10 seconds at the interview. And he was like, uh, I'd mentioned the podcast or whatever, and he was like, oh, I'll come on. And I was like, okay, grand. And I was like, great, come on. And then I sort of sat in the taxi when I was leaving. And I was like, what if one of us doesn't get it? It's gonna be such an awkward conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously we did. But, um, yeah, I feel it's...
1: like those little like interview um discussions are weird though, weren't they? Because you're like walking in having a conversation with someone, and you're like, actually, I might be competing with you.
0: Yeah, which I never actually even considered at all, actually. I probably should have. Um who was it that said, oh, someone said. They saw me and they were like oh we just thought you were one of the uh, the sponsors <laughs> must have given off a professional look that's always good to know <laughs> yeah,
1: that, no, a- amy was after me um i remember because i was the first one of the day and she was after me so they gave one to both of us so <laughs>
0: yeah that's it i know it wasn't just random selection it wasn't like right, first one third one <laughs> um yeah moving moving on to to Nuffield, Annie. I mean, you um I called you, which was maybe unfair, I erd earlier regarding uh, minerals. <clears throat> Apologies, but I promise it was meant in kind. Uh <laughs> you've completed a PhD in it and you've thought, do you know what? <laughs> Let's do some more. Uh so yeah, before before we sort of get into your topic or anything like that with Nuffield, it's been quite interesting to ask folk what why Nuffield and, and what made you sort of think, oh, this is this is the next step.
1: Yeah I think I think everyone's got a similar answer to this I think because you meet people that have done in a field that are always amazing to chat to <laughs> they've got yeah a wealth of information contacts they're always really interesting people really passionate people so I think people that have done in a field um, have inspired me that I should do one but also like because I've got an academic background but have worked commercially I can also see the the gap, the gap that there is between information that is like really in-depth, really detailed, really what I would refer to as academic, being produced at sort of PhD level. And I still don't think we're getting that information out to where it's required, where we need to disseminate to, and certainly not in the form that people want to receive it you know, not many people, like a minority of people that are going to sit there and read it
0: academic
1: paper. (laughs) Yeah, like my thesis is a 100,000 words. You're not going to sit down and read that, are you? So I think that feels a really good opportunity to disseminate some of that information in a more effective way to people that actually want to hear about it, but don't want to sit and read academic
0: information. And I think do you know it's a hundred thousand words? Wow. Have you how many times have you read it?
1: Uh <laughs> but maybe twice, once when I was writing it once before my visor.
0: Yeah, and then obviously, you know, you made sure to spell check it like 17 times, obviously. Uh a hundred thousand. Jeez, that's insane. But do you know that that kind of leads me on to what I really wanted to ask you was how are you going to manage in only 5,000 words? <laughs> That's a, that's a, that's a,
1: it's, it? It? It, it's a... gonna be, be a challenge. I think I'm just gonna write and then at the end I'm gonna edit. So if you end up with like 15,000 words, I'm just gonna edit a load of words out at the end. I think it's good, it's good to um, practice that sort of thing and practice not waffling on or having to write in such an academic style. I think that's a nice thing about an nothing report, it doesn't have to be written like an academic paper is it can be written in a much more friendly way which hopefully will take some words out.
0: I actually struggled at first I had a really journalistic form of writing um yeah I struggled with academic things I guess and then now here I am marking dissertations it's all sort of full circle um but yeah I'm I'm quite looking forward to that challenge as well because I think probably the the bullet point of the week for me that was the most important was it's not a travel log because in my head it felt like that. Um, and I'm probably glad they said that because I would have probably written a travel log, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> first off, we went too. Um, so yeah, that's that was quite useful to know uh, and kind of looking forward to, like you say, the challenge of writing that. And then there's also like the... The video thing's interesting because a a, vid, a minute of video is something like three thousand words they say they reckon it equates to so uh you can you can fairly not getting three thousand words into a minute but you can sort of equate it to that if you write it correctly so it can be quite fun to get that had you video edited before that day
1: never done any video editing before so i've done like quite a lot of being filmed for various videos but i never Oh, I never had to edit it myself. Now I understand why when you, they're doing it, they're like, stand there, oh, you moved. No, you need, we need you to move back. And I'm like, oh, you're being annoying. Now I understand having gone back and uh, learned to edit why they're being so pedantic about things. Um, yeah, so it's good. I think it's a good skill to learn, isn't it? I mean, we're in a world where video, podcasts, all that sort of thing is so important. It um, is a
0: good yeah. skill to learn. Yeah, it was... I felt pretty bored after the first half hour of that, in fairness. <laughs> but I did, I did get a headache from information overload with the rest of the day, so I can't exactly say much. But, um, yeah, t- tell, us about, tell us about your Nuffield, Annie. It's obviously nothing to do with minerals, obviously, because you've done enough of that in your life.
1: <laughs> obviously not. I and I did genuinely think about it when I was applying to Nuffield. I was like, people are going to think that I'm obsessed. They to be <laughs> like, well, here she goes again talking about minerals but i spoke to charlotte about it and she was like if you love it then that's what you should do and i was like okay that's what i'm gonna do then so uh, before sim- you
0: before you start are you obsessed with minerals
1: yeah i think i am a bit i've <laughs> talked about them all the time i can rank them into my favorite ones
0: oh well, let's hear your favorite mineral that's yeah. gonna happen
1: well my favorite obviously has to be copper because that's what my phd is you've got to stay loyal haven't you
0: second favorite let's do top three do.
1: it's going to start with copper and then it's going to be iodine because iodine um is fascinating and can have really detrimental effects you get it wrong. and i've never i've never been asked for a third i don't know what my third would be
0: ah uh, here you've got to know your top three got to know your podium
1: it, I mean, it, my top three is probably going to have changed because i think my, my third one might have to be phosphorus now which would never have come onto my agenda a few years ago but there's a lot of pressure on phosphorus and taking phosphorus out of diets.
0: It's a late riser now, isn't it? It's, it's number three when it never would have been before.
1: <laughs> and it's competitive, you know, this mineral ranking.
0: Partly so, partly so. I, I'm glad that you've finally, on the R2Cast live, been able to uh, uh, finally admit that you are obsessed with minerals. So I'm glad that you're able to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone that knows me is going to be like, yeah, we already knew this. We already know she was obsessed.
0: This isn't news. yeah tell us about Nuffield Daddy. tell us what your plans are
1: so my plan is to look basically at mineral advice in ruminants and whether we're getting it right is the advice that's being delivered on farm correct is it going to enable us to enhance animal performance or are we seeing advice research out there that is actually not good in terms of the performance of ruminants in the UK And there's a few things that I want to look at. So, I want to look at diagnostic reference ranges. In the UK, we use diagnostic reference ranges that are different to other parts of the world. In New Zealand, they have quite often lower reference ranges than we do. That means that, you know, if they tested an animal and it came back with a certain value, they would say, don't supplement. There'll be no. Um, there'll be no effect of supplementation whereas if we got that same value in the UK we would be advised to supplement and I'm interested in why there's that difference across uh, the globe why are we not all using the same reference ranges to get to the same conclusions because they used to say that it was primarily genetic differences in animals but I, I, I don't believe that there is enough of a genetic difference between those animals for some of the discrepancies in the reference ranges that we see and i see quite a lot of bad advice particularly probably around iodine and Mm -hmm. it being as driving iodine values up higher and higher in the uk where in other countries they wouldn't do that so i'm interested in those diagnostic reference ranges interested in like the supplementation rate that we're putting into diets. Again, we see massive differences between dairy, beef and sheep. In dairy, we certainly see huge amounts of mineral oversupplementation to the point where we're having detrimental effect on those cows because their mineral status is too high, particularly around copper. They can only store so much copper before it starts to really accumulate in the liver and negatively affect their particular fertility um, and their performance in terms of milk yield. Whereas in beef and sheep, I tend to see the opposite, where they could increase the performance of those animals by supplementing them with more mineral because the diet isn't supplying enough mineral. I'm interested in whether we see that in other places in the world and whether it's just a case of, do we need to improve knowledge Around minerals to try and reduce the amount going into dairy diets and increase the amount going into beef and sheep diets, or is there other things that they're doing in different, particularly say in the US um, or in the Netherlands when they're under much more pressure in terms of nutrient cycling that we could bring back to the UK to see what we see what we can learn from them basically and improve so sort of, our advice around mineral supplementation of ruminants and then i guess the third thing that i want to look at is the type of supplements that are being being given in different markets in new zealand to put a bolus on the market you have to have a registration for that bolus so you have to have gone through a registration process that proves that your bolus does what it says it does so it lasts the amount of time you're claiming it releases certain trace elements. You can show that in the diagnostics of the animal. In the UK, I always say to people when I'm when I'm recommending different mineral supplements, you have to remember it's an entirely unregulated market. I could make a bolus sat in my office where I am now and go and sell it to a farmer tomorrow. As long as I've used material that's on the register, I can do that. But I don't have to prove in any way that that bolus works to be able to sell it and i'm really interested in in new zealand does that constrict the market too much or does it actually make it much more straightforward for farmers to understand the products that are on the market and what's going to be effective and what's not because we certainly absolutely see products on the market in the uk that do not work but we have no way of policing that at the moment
0: i absolutely did not think that would be the case
1: I know it it kind of falls through the cracks in the legislation. They're not a veterinary product, they sort of go into the dietetic feed. But then, if you're putting something into an animal for six months, you kind of want to think that it's been tested, don't you?
0: Yeah. And in New Zealand, is it tested on animal or how is that tested?
1: Yeah, so you have to put a dossier into the New Zealand government to register Ebola and they will dictate to you the data that they require in order for you to put a bolus on the market there. But yeah, you need to show that it's going to last how long you say it will, and that it's releasing those trace elements and that you have tested it in catalogue sheet.
0: And for those of us who don't rank our favourite mineral, I've got a few questions. Uh, (laughs) So the, the diagnostic reference range you said, you know, it's different in different places. In my head, hearing that, and this could be entirely wrong. That's money-driven, or is is that unlikely? It just seems like if you can, let me get this right, open the range that allows what you can sell. Animal pharmaceutical companies make more money.
1: I actually genuinely don't know the answer. I don't know where those those historic reference ranges, because a lot of them have been in place a long time. Right. I don't know where they originally came from because so for like they, they are really extreme. For iodine, um, in New Zealand they would say if it's above 45 micrograms per liter in the blood, then it's sufficient. Yeah. We say it's got to be above 105 micrograms per liter. So it's more than double in Jeez. terms of what we're saying is a sufficient reference range. And that's probably the most extreme mineral in terms of the difference. Whereas for, for the others, it's probably a narrower difference. But yeah, I don't actually know where where those reference ranges come from. And we do see like we do see laboratory differences in the UK yeah. in terms of reporting. Some saying 105, some saying 150 in some cases. And I'm always going back saying it shouldn't be 150. That is way too high.
0: So you're looking at... 200 and something percent difference there's there's no genetic change in animals that they show that <laughs> we're jumping on that if there is <laughs> you know it just doesn't exist. Yeah,
1: there's, there's, it's not going to be big enough for that no no
0: that'll be interesting
1: no. i think some of it some of it relates to um what's the right word so how worried we are about it going into the human food chain iodine If an animal has iodine in excess, we'll excrete it in milk. Mm -hmm. And how we're monitoring iodine in the food chain is going to have an effect on that. So in New Zealand, they're much hotter on iodine that can be transferred into milk because of human health reasons. That's probably got something to do, the diagnostic reference ranges. But yeah, I really want to look into where they've come from, why they've developed in the way that they have. And, you know, are they right? Should we put, be putting those values on? Or is it just a case of we've always done it like that, so that's the value that we're going to continue to use?
0: It's interesting. I mean, that almost sounds like, you know, we <laughs> realised this could be an issue, so let's create a sort of preventative measure. Lower. <laughs> that just seems like... But there's... Yeah, it's interesting, because, like you say, you don't know, and it'll be quite interesting to see what what does come of it. Are are all the the minerals that we require in livestock production... Readily available? Is there any we challenge to? Is there any there's a challenge to source?
1: Yeah, I think that certainly around obviously some minerals in terms of the way they're mined is under scrutiny. Cobalt, obviously, jumping to to mind on that and its potential as yeah uh, being yeah under quite harsh scrutiny. The the mining of cobalt, obviously, phosphorus. Um, it's pretty high on people's agenda until they've obviously discovered more phosphorus um, availability in Norway. But I still think that it it's a mineral that is on yeah people's radar. I guess where where we see more challenges in supplies quite often in in vitamins, vitamins going into animal diets, they're quite often come out of like one sole factory that makes vitamin c or vitamin a and if anything happens there then supply chain is really difficult
0: i can see why phosphorus has crept in at the bronze spot obviously now it makes yeah. sense <laughs> um you mentioned new zealand quite a bit you actually just mentioned norway as well there what's the pl- where's the plans for travel
1: new zealand is on the plan um yeah interested in yeah a lot of things in new zealand interested in the way they regulate market interested yeah talking to vets about their reference ranges and what they're seeing and what the researchers out there are seeing um norway is not on the plan i i did spend a lot of time in norway when i was working in export Um so i've tried to go to places that i didn't get to spend a lot of time so the us is on the plan Um, a lot of the mineral equations for how we calculate mineral going into animal diets come out of the US research institutes so there's major agricultural universities over there interested in talking to those universities but also going out and seeing I think the US that the way they farm over there is just fascinating I really want to go out and see that on the ground and what's actually going on and they have some tighter restriction than we have in some areas, but some much more openness in other areas. So in terms of minerals, they have really tight restriction around selenium that we don't have. i um, interested in what effect that has. Um, other place um, on my agenda is the Netherlands, and that's because of nutrient cycling. And the pressure that's on their, their systems, particularly around ma- macro minerals, how they start to cycle those, but also animals in sort of fairly intense productivity. Because I think we're reaching a stage in, in the research where, you know, we used to say a cow requires this amount of mineral. It's not as simple as that anymore. Like, how hard, hard are you pushing her? What's she yielding? How often are you expecting her to carve? All those things have an impact on what her mineral requirement is Um, so interested to see what they're doing over in the netherlands and then i'm going to go to ireland hopefully to look at some work that's being done around herbal lays Mm -hmm. and absorption of minerals into grass probably the question that i get asked most is would i solve all my mineral problems if i just put a herbal lay in um, and then they could have minerals from lots of different plants and I'm talking not as simple as that because it depends what's in your soil and we're still not there in terms of the evidence of how much different the herbal lay makes but I think they're further ahead in Ireland than we are um, so interested to go and see that work.
0: And is does that operate on the basis that those varieties in that herbal lay express some of those minerals minerals, and bring bring them out of the ground or do they make them more readily available throughout the diet
1: um so one way would be because potentially herbal lays are deeper rooting than some of the rye grasses so we're able to bring minerals up from further down in the soil another way is thinking about how quickly these herbal lays are growing are they growing slower than rye grasses and therefore they're giving more time for the plant to bring some of those minerals up.
0: I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry.
1: And then the other thing is literally differences in species and how different species of grass, of plants absorb minerals out of the soil, depending on soil pHs, and whether we can see differences in those. So there's quite a lot of work done on willow and looking at willow's relationship to increasing cobalt status in sheep. But I think we need to broaden that research out to, other herbal plants and what we're seeing kind of being input into farms and what what kind of a difference we can make because you know i have certain farms that i work on and do some mineral consulting for and we have fields that you know i know that we can't put lambs onto because they'll immediately go cobalt deficient right these are big wards of ryegrass fields so would it make any difference if we put something different Onto those, rather than sticking with yeah, yeah, a really rapidly growing grass.
0: Do you know Claire Whittle?
1: I don't know her, but I did listen to your podcast with a uh, (laughs) honour.
0: No, funny enough, that's exactly what she said, Um, and she's an A field scholar. Do actually do you know? you've sat about three foot from her <laughs> you might not you might not know that but uh yeah she sat just next to us on the first days but um yeah she could be an interesting one for you uh, i think you two would get on quite well in fairness i think i've introduced about seven people to claire because i just think it's really interesting i don't know if you noticed in that podcast it was proper like i was just sitting there like really really
1: really just fascinated yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what this podcast is. You meet so many amazing folk. I did not think I was going to be ranking minerals today. Um, I'm going
1: to ask you for your favourites at the end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have no reason as to why I choose the ones I do, but I'm just, yeah, we'll pretend I know what I'm talking about. But um, no, it sounds good. So what was that? Five countries? Four. Four countries.
1: And then obviously we're all going to Brazil.
0: Yeah, it's going to be amazing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be great
0: yeah country that's fascinated me I'm a big football fan as well so like brazil's just been a place that's interested me culturally for some time so yeah when, when um when we go to brazil uh and then i've got japan and singapore on my list and then arguably new zealand if i can fit it in once i've done those places and um it'll be 14 months so i'll have done every continent on the planet oh Having,
1: wow Never that's a be travel too
0: yeah i'd only been to two countries four months ago
1: <laughs> that's amazing
0: <laughs> yeah been to been to nine countries in the last two and a half months so it's all been quite intense <laughs> um, yeah you're
1: gonna be you're gonna be bored you're gonna be like right i'm gonna have a year at home that's it
0: <laughs> this is it. i've mean, taken on enough field to travel less hey <laughs> that's how it's feeling but um no, you're on. It's been good fun. It was it was quite interesting. Do you know, you and I get put into that fancy dinner thing, not just you and I, with all the fancy people. Not that, of course, you're not fancy. Um, and uh, with the, I don't know what it was. I'm not good in the royal family. The Queen's cousin, that's all I have.
1: Duke of, Duke of Gloucester.
0: Thank you. I knew that. <laughs> um, obviously. Uh and yeah, that was that was the first time we've really spoken. <laughs> Just because of how the Nuffield week went, um, it all sort of blown, flown by, and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get to know each other in Brazil better. And after the podcast, so it's always quite good fun to sort of find out about someone that you kind of know a little bit. But there's two questions I ask everyone before I get asked to rank my favorite minerals, um, and that is one: where do you see yourself in five years? And two: if you'd any advice for people coming into farming, what would it be? <clears throat>
1: Where do I see myself in five years? That's such a difficult one. I definitely dodged that that on the uh, Nuffield application where it asked (laughs) you that. I definitely didn't write anything very specific there at all. Because I always think if I look where I was five years ago and then I was like mid-PhD, trying to write, trying to milk cows, I think I had a ruptured ankle ligament, everything was going wrong. (laughs) I was like, what am I doing? compared to where I am now I'm like oh I'd be like yeah great she's doing well she's living life so I think it's really hard to say um I'd like to do um so I as well as working for CL I also do mineral consultancy and I'd like to do more of that I love going out on farm trying to problem solve trying to help people quite often I I only get called when it's gone really wrong And we really need to try and find the answer to something that's gone wrong. So I'd like to do more of that. And I I have two horses and I would really, really like to have them at home. So I'd like to to buy a house where I can have the horses at home. That would be an aim in five years, definitely.
0: You've met Princess Anne's horse, have you not?
1: I have. I have met Princess Anne's horse. That's my little claim to fame.
0: Pretty cool, that. It's pretty cool. It had a really normal name. What was the name? james james oh, <laughs> name. Brilliant name. a house where you've got space to keep horses is like have you seen heartland yes yeah that's course. it's of course yeah sorry you own a horse obviously in Heartland. um that's just the dream is it not that place like oh, it seems lush <laughs>
1: yeah whereas the dream is not like a dark november night where i've like waded through mud up to my knees to go and get them in tonight and yeah that's not the dream is it but <laughs> Obviously, when they're at home, I won't have much. Oh flowing. yeah, mud doesn't
0: exist when you own it.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Um. Yeah. Any tips for people coming into farming?
1: I think just to stay open-minded. You know, I I speak to to farmers all the time and you come across so many fascinating interesting people take them all take it all in listen to what everybody's got to say you might not agree with it all but stay open minded to what people are saying to you the opportunities people are presenting i definitely don't claim to be a farmer at all but yeah get to meet lots of fascinating people across the industry uh, both farming and non-farming and i think realistically everybody is trying to do the best thing so listen to what people are saying and challenge but remain open-minded when you're talking to them
0: oh sounds good sounds good it's actually quick that that question normally has pretty similar answers um i've literally asked it to every single person that's came on the food and farming tvs every single person and i don't know if you've heard it amy wilkinson but amy the exact same initials as you amy had um probably the best one yet where she said sort of she said she was quite shy when she was younger and she said like uh 20 seconds of blind confidence like say yes to something and then deal with it later I was like, oh that's so cool i like that Um, yeah
1: it'll be fine it'll be all right in the end
0: (laughs) and that's how we've ended up in the position we both in at the minute is it not uh so yeah no very good good stuff and i tell you what i'll try and Rank them, please. Don't ask me for reasons. I am um,
1: gonna judge them. So I'm gonna be like why? Why have
0: you chosen that? Okay, number <laughs> one, selenium. Right now, I'm trying to judge your face as to how I'm being judged here. The reason for that is, is one, I think, has got a cool name, and okay. yep, yeah, that's the reason. <laughs> Two, um, cobalt because it sounds fun, and three. What's an interesting one? No, I don't want to go for the basic ones that you've went for. Not that yours are basic, just obviously you know a lot, and I assume that's a normal answer. How about sulfur?
1: Oh, that's a rogue one.
0: Yeah, I don't even know what it does. (laughs) Um,
1: There is a requirement for sulfur, but generally you would classify it as an antagonist.
0: Oh, and in what way?
1: it so when the animal ingests it it interferes with the absorption of other minerals in the digestive tract So it interferes with the absorption of copper interferes with the absorption of selenium the favorite mineral
0: oh, in damn it. a
1: negative way um, so you might have to supply more in the diet or you certainly have to consider the supply of those two minerals in the diet if your sulfur levels are high
0: Monog- so don't
1: change your mind you stick with a stick with that.
0: absolutely not these are my favorites ever um in a monogastric system am i not right in saying sulfur makes water more available i
1: have absolutely
0: no idea i don't I, i'm putting that i'm basing that purely on human nutrition but i could be wrong <laughs> any human nutritionist listening please tell me i'm wrong that'd be interesting. Um, what well, you said, uh, I was being judged positive or negatively on my top three.
1: I, mean, I think you just chose them because you like the way they sound. So I think that's fine. And you did you did pick three minerals. You could have picked something other like that's not even a mineral. So I think I think that's fine.
0: <laughs> Do you know what? Sulfur was probably in that bracket that I was thinking. <laughs> Is that one? <laughs> Does that count? Do you know? It sounds like from the last five minutes this. Should be an episode we do another time where basically I get a list of every mineral and I'm like, Annie, opinion. <laughs> opinion on this one. Opinion on this one. That's that's interesting with sulfur. With selenium. God, it's even ruined my number one. Anyway, I did not expect to be doing this. It's quite interesting that we've even got here. those of you listening, please comment with your favorite three minerals. Um, make sure to see three minerals that don't actually antagonize one another right i remember the word um no you for coming on annie hope we've enjoyed your time no
1: it's been great thanks
0: for having me oh it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure it's been one of those ones where there's quite a few of these episodes now in fairness where i bring people on and i'm like don't really know what i'm talking about just going to try and guide the conversation and let you do it (laughs) um so no that's
1: fine i feel like that's fine
0: You've got a PhD, you're used to that. Uh, so yeah, no, it'd be very good. Pleasure having you on. And uh, I hope everyone listening. I hope you've enjoyed. Um that's been number one five eight with Annie Williams. Um next episode, as I said, more of the All In series. We've been away from All In for a while. I'm not actually sure. I haven't filmed this episode yet. I'm not sure if Ed's gonna be there. Ed is currently Oh my god, I didn't message him. He will be out of his now, he'll be out of his operation where he had a broken face. Literally, bonus snapped here and bonus snapped really near his temple. So um yeah, it's like proper dislodged. It doesn't look good. So I don't know if Ed's gonna be there for the Chris episode. I've told him he shouldn't be, but he seems to think he's gonna manage. We'll see how it goes. Um, luckily there's no video. Uh there's a face for podcasting now with that injury. Sorry, Ed. Um, but yeah, Chris Jenks, so anyone who is a Netflix fan, he's on, what's the other show? Um, oh, begins with V, that's terrible. V, I don't know, I don't watch TV. He's on Sex Education, which was pretty good back in the old lockdown days. The All In series is going quite well. We have just, and I don't think I've said this in a podcast, and I'm so excited about this, just organised to have Gunnar Garforce on the podcast. Now, I'm going to guess most of you don't know who that is, but Gunnar Garforce is currently in Gabon, an interesting country in itself. But the reason Gunnar is coming on is because he's been to every single country on the planet, not once, but twice. First person to ever do it. So we have nine world records coming on in that episode. Um, quite an interesting episode coming up. There's a lot of different ones coming up with Champions League winners, with Nuffield scholars and with everyone in between. So I hope you're enjoying the, the podcast at the minute with almost 10 being released every month. Um, will be at 200 literally by lambing time <laughs> it's absolutely flying in so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for episode number 159 with christopher jenks see you then i hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the r2 cast as much as i have and i would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today howden rural the new name for a plan rural If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector, and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. And I'll see you for the next episode.